0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy.
1: From the Center for Investigative Reporting and PRX, this is Reveal. I'm Al Letson. In the late summer of 2021, a young family is camping in Wyoming. They're staying at a campsite that looks out at a pristine mountain lake. They even see antelope.
2: We saw a few of those. And that was cool. I didn't think there was antelope in the United States, but there is apparently.
1: Jade Doss, her boyfriend Ryan Benes, and their baby girl are spending their days listening to music in the tent, fishing, and eating peaches from a farm stand.
2: It was just fun, relaxing, and, and at night we would look at the stars and um, kind of just cherish each other's company.
1: After a week or so, the family packs up their Ford Explorer and leaves the mountains of Wyoming. Next stop south dakota they stay in a house on a farm but then one day jade sees two police cars driving down the long dusty road towards the farm
2: i don't know how they even found out that we were there
1: this is not just a family road trip
2: later i come to find out that they were tracking the cell phone and so stupid to not have gotten rid of it but we didn't think it was that serious We didn't think that our case met the qualifications for justifying that big of a
1: manhunt. About a month before, this young family fled their home in Arizona out of fear they might have to give up custody of their child. They crossed half a dozen states, drove over a thousand miles. That day at the farm, Jade hid from the police, but afterwards, she and Ryan head east with the baby towards Iowa. After a long day of driving, they park their SUV for the night in a Sam's Club parking lot in Sioux City. A few hours later, Jade wakes up to blinding lights. She squints and sees a gun.
3: Get your hands up! Get your hands up! Do not move unless you're told to do so. Do you understand me?
1: Their daughter is seven months old and has just started to say, Papa. We're not using the baby's name to protect her privacy. Jade is hugging her telling her she loves her. When an officer yanks open the door, Jade raises her arms in the air and prays her baby won't fall.
2: Can you put your baby somewhere? I'll take the baby.
4: Roll your window down farther.
1: One officer takes the baby. Another clicks a pair of handcuffs on Jade. Sit down. She pleads with them.
3: Oh, gone. You ain't supposed to have this child.
1: They tell her she knows she's not supposed to have this child. What did this family do to justify this manhunt? It all started because Jade was taking a prescribed legal medication. The drug is called Suboxone. Suboxone is a treatment for opioid addiction. It prevents withdrawal and curbs cravings. It's considered the gold standard for millions of Americans in recovery, including pregnant mothers. Jade took it when she was pregnant, but it's one of a number of legally prescribed medications that in many states can trigger a child abuse or neglect investigation. That's what happened to Jade, and eventually turned her family into fugitives. Reveals, Shoshana Walter has been looking into cases of new mothers being investigated for taking medication to treat addiction during their pregnancies. Medications like methadone or Suboxone. She found thousands of them, including Jade.
5: I was on Facebook reading through posts from parents who were dealing with child welfare cases, and I stumbled upon this post by Jade. She was looking for advice on how she could fight her case and get her baby back. So in March of 2022, about six months after the police took her baby and arrested Jade, I go to visit her in person at her trailer home in Apache Junction, which is about 45 minutes outside of Phoenix.
2: Hi. How are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm good, thank
5: you. Jade walks out to greet me. She is a shy person, more comfortable hiding behind layers of makeup. But today, she's not wearing any. She's in her late 20s, but looks younger. Her long brown hair dangles down her back, and she's wearing socks and sandals. Tell
2: me where we are for a moment, Jade. Yeah, so this is uh, where I live.
5: She walks me back to their trailer.
2: It works for us for now. We're gonna move into. A
5: this was the only place Jade and Ryan could afford when they first came back after getting out of jail.
2: We're gonna move into a bigger place soon. So
5: the trailer is tidy and cozy. There are two lazy boy chairs in the front room, and we sit down. Ryan is there, but he doesn't want to talk. Jade wants to tell her story.
2: There's all this life that we have to deal with.
5: Jade grew up in Phoenix with her younger sister and her parents. She's Native American, South Asian, and white. She didn't know her extended family for the most part, and for short stretches of time, she was in foster care or lived with her grandma and her aunt. Her parents were neglectful and sometimes abusive, and her mom struggled with addiction.
2: So I suffered with abandonment from my mother at a very young age. And I know my mother suffered from rejection from her mother.
5: Jade learned to withdraw into herself. She liked the company of books and birds more than people. As she got older, she occasionally got into trouble with the law. Then, in her early 20s, she met Ryan on a dating app.
2: I told him what was going on with my family and my past. And he said, well, if you ever need to come here, like, just stay with me whenever you want to and just come hang out. They got serious fast. Soon
5: they were living together. Jade wasn't used to Ryan's quiet, stable life,
2: but she liked it. He helped me to get a job. So I got my very first job as a, a waitress, a server, at Hot and Juicy Crawfish. It's like super hipster place. It's where all like the ASU kids go to party.
5: At first, Jade and Ryan just party together on weekends, enjoying their new life as a couple. Eventually, they started using tiny blue pills they thought were OxyContin. It turns out those pills were fentanyl and very difficult to stop. Soon they lost their jobs, and after their money ran out, they lost their apartment.
2: I just went downhill fast. We just became homeless quickly and um, just consumed us for like a year.
5: One night in 2019, they were in a drug-induced haze when Jade became convinced someone was following them. They broke into a nearby house where a resident held them at gunpoint until the police arrived and arrested them for trespassing. After getting out of jail, Ryan and Jade were done. They went to rehab and got on Suboxone. The basic idea behind Suboxone is that it helps people get off opioids by eliminating the physical and mental symptoms of withdrawal. Instead of cravings, you can just focus on whatever you need to resume a normal life. But Jade and Ryan were having trouble finding a place to live, and they were having trouble holding down jobs. They didn't have a car and ended up at a horse farm where they worked for housing but no pay. Jade was arrested a few times for shoplifting.
2: We just were not in a good place, and that... It was very unsettling to me. And then Jay discovered that she was pregnant. We were both unemployed, living in this bedroom. But at the same time, like, I just felt kind of qualified, I guess. I don't know if that's arrogant to, to say, but like, I just felt like I would be a good mother. When Jay
5: learned she's pregnant, one of her first thoughts is, should she stay on Suboxone.
2: My main concern was, is this safe and is it ideal even to take while pregnant? Is it going to cause serious complications or any complications at all? So she starts doing research. She reads studies.
5: She talks to a couple of healthcare providers who tell her, yes, pregnant women can take suboxone. Arizona's Medicaid agency and the CDC both urge women to take treatment meds. And studies show this leads to the best outcomes for both mothers and babies. In fact, it's extremely dangerous to stop taking Suboxone mid-pregnancy. Stopping can cause miscarriage or very premature birth. I talked to several doctors who backed all of this up. Jade determines she should stay on it. And she and Ryan turn their attention to more pressing problems. Even though they're sober, they're still struggling. When Jade is around seven months pregnant, Ryan's dad wires them money. They buy a car and drive to Sedona, where Ryan quickly finds a job. They move into a campground where a bunch of other low-age workers live. They start saving money to buy a more permanent home, an RV. They're still living in the car when Jade goes into labor.
2: All of a sudden... I just felt this rush of liquid on my legs, and I knew right away that my water broke. Ryan drives quickly to the hospital. Jade is scared.
5: What if the hospital treats them like they're homeless? She wants to put on a full face of makeup, fix her hair so she doesn't look so scrubby, but Ryan's like, no, we don't have time for that. Let's go. Jade goes through the intake process. She tells the nurse that she's on Suboxone.
2: She just wrote it down on her computer, and then at some point, she had me take a drug test. They take her to the delivery room. She gets an epidural, and then... The nurses came in, and they just said, start pushing. So I did.
5: She delivers a baby girl.
2: And they handed her to me. Uh, She was making baby noises. Not like a full-on cry, but she was like... "Eh." And then when they put her on my chest, she immediately quieted down.
5: Jade feels an overwhelming feeling of love.
2: I remember looking at her and thinking like, how tiny and precious. She was like a part of me. Like if someone took my heart and like it was now separated from me and I could see it over there.
5: She and Ryan are totally enamored with their daughter, her jerky little movements and her wrinkly skin. They're just staring at her and feeling really complete, like a complete family. Hospital staff note that Jade is attentive and bonding well with her daughter, that the baby is comforted in her mother's arms. Jade has no idea that her prescribed medication could tear her family apart. The drug urine test she takes shows that Jade is not taking any illegal drugs. The Suboxone worked. She delivered a healthy baby, and she stayed sober. The hospital even prescribed it to her while she was there. Still, state law requires hospitals to report any baby born exposed to controlled substances, including Suboxone. Mm. The first time Jade realizes something might be wrong is when a nurse comes into the room a couple hours later. The nurse tells them they might have to take the baby and transfer her to another hospital if she shows significant signs of withdrawal. Jade had read about the effects of oxone can have on babies. The medication can sometimes cause withdrawal symptoms, but they're temporary and treatable. So far, Studies show the medication doesn't have any other side effects for babies. And the best thing is for mom and baby to stay together.
2: We were just totally against it. We were, like, just did not like that idea. Like, I wanted to breastfeed her. She's a newborn and, like, she just needed to be with me. After some time, the nurse comes back and
5: says, okay, we'll keep the baby here for monitoring. But just so you know, we're going to be calling DCS, the Arizona Department of Child Safety. Jade is so relieved that she doesn't really think about what the nurse said. The hospital calls the department's Child Abuse and Neglect reporting hotline. And within about two hours, Jade's case is assigned to an investigator. At first, Jade assumes DCS is concerned about their housing status. But when she gets on a video chat with the investigator, Jade says the first question is not about that. It's about Jade's own
2: history in the child welfare system as a kid. Her next question was, so why are you taking Suboxone? And I didn't know how to answer that. Jade
5: quickly concludes that the investigator's main concern is not housing. It's about her Suboxone— and whether or not she's abusing drugs. She's worried about telling the truth about her past addiction. So she tells the investigator it all started when she took pain pills for a back injury. She thinks that she can solve this problem by simply showing the investigator her prescription. So Ryan brings in a prescription bottle, which has her name on the label. But that's not enough. Every detail seems to count as a ding against them. After Ryan goes back to work, the investigator has a hard time reaching him and describes him as absent. A nurse tells the investigator that Jade's demeanor seems flat, that she wasn't holding the baby constantly while she slept. To Jade, it's like the investigator is viewing everything going on in her and Ryan's life through the worst possible lens.
2: I was freaked out about these people. Their odd behavior and their accusatory tone was just very off-putting.
5: Jade is scared and withdrawn. She feels like she's being attacked and questioned for no reason. And when Ryan is told to take a drug test, he calls the drug testing employees Nazis and accuses them of trying to help steal his kid. The investigator calls his behavior bizarre and erratic. All of these details, plus the fact that they're homeless, make their way into the agency's report. And on February 8th, 2021, a week after the baby is born, the investigator comes into the hospital room and hands Jade a court order, requiring her to turn the baby over immediately.
2: I was trying to call Ryan, I was trying to call my dad. No one was picking up. So I did that for like 10 minutes, trying to make calls frantically. She's doing whatever she can to stall them. And
5: then finally she thinks this is a total misunderstanding. I'm just taking a prescription medication. They'll have to see that and they'll return her to me.
2: And then I teared up and I said I'm I'm really sorry and I was crying and I told her I'm sorry.
5: So she gives her newborn over to the nurse and the investigator and they walk out of the room.
2: It was just, like, pure despair. I don't even know how to explain it.
1: Jade is in shock that her Suboxone has set off a chain of events that leads to the state taking her baby. And Jade is not alone. How We Got Here, next on Reveal. From the Center for Investigative Reporting and PRX, this is Reveal. I'm Al Letson. Jade Doss's baby was barely a week old when the state took her away. Arizona's Department of Child Safety, known widely as DCS, accused the parents of using illicit substances. The investigator handed Jade a custody notice with a long checklist of allegations, including some completely unrelated to their case.
2: They said the caregiver is unable to perform essential parental responsibilities due to substance use, mental illness, physical impairment, cognitive limitations.
1: But Jade was taking Suboxone, a legally prescribed medication to treat opioid addiction. And it was working. She hadn't relapsed and her baby was born healthy, almost seven pounds with a near perfect APGAR score, a measure of newborn health.
2: She was born a healthy weight. She was eating. She was doing what babies do. She appeared and was behaving perfectly healthy.
1: But DCS claimed Jade's baby would be in danger in her custody, alleging that her use of illicit substances could result in severe injury to the child or even death.
2: I just couldn't believe it that people would act like this, like how they couldn't see, like it's like... You have no humanity if you're gonna take someone's baby.
1: Reveals Shoshana Walter wanted to understand how common that was and discovered Jade is one of thousands of women across the country who've been reported to Child Protective Services for taking treatment meds like Suboxone and Methadone during pregnancy. The reason why has to do with a series of drug laws that go back decades. Show explains.
5: It's the 1980s, and the crack epidemic is starting to spread all across
3: the country. The epidemic is so new that scientists don't know much about the long-term effects of crack before birth.
5: One of the first major studies about newborns exposed to crack came from a Chicago pediatrician in 1985. Dr. Ira Chasnov's study claimed that these babies were less interactive and moodier than newborns whose mothers hadn't used the drug. When it was published, it was all over the news. And that's when a new term spread across the country.
0: Crack babies, these children, suffer brain damage, are often deformed.
4: Ten crack babies are born every day.
0: We've
3: seen so many pictures of these crack-addicted babies hooked up to respirators, trying to fight their way through those first critical days after birth.
5: But new studies soon showed the plight of so-called crack babies had been wildly overstated. Within a few years, we learned that it was actually poverty and a child's environment that had a greater impact on their overall development. Still, the damage was done. Law enforcement started arresting hundreds of women for using drugs during their pregnancies. States began passing laws that made drug use during pregnancy a form of child abuse. Child welfare agencies now take newborns from their mothers and place them in foster care.
1: The crack baby was a made-up monster that was then used to develop this extremely punitive and novel approach to the public health problem of drug use during pregnancy. It was treated for the first time as a crime, and it only was treated as a crime because the women targeted were Black women. Dorothy
5: Roberts is an author, sociologist, and law professor at the University of Pennsylvania. She spent decades investigating structural racism within the child welfare system.
1: The women who were being prosecuted were Black women, even though in the study, the white women were slightly more likely to use illegal substances while pregnant. Black women were 10 times more likely to be reported to authorities by their doctors. The
5: nation's overall response to the crack epidemic was punishment. But when the opioid epidemic hit in the mid-90s…
4: This is probably the worst drug situation in our country in decades, if not a century.
5: The response was vastly different. The opioid epidemic began with the introduction of highly addictive prescription painkillers such as OxyContin.
1: America's addiction to opioids is playing out right down the street, in its grip, every type of person you can imagine. Successful people. Funny people. Moms, dads, grandparents, injured athletes, cancer
0: patients.
5: White Americans had greater access to insurance and prescriptions, far more than people of color. So white communities were soon flooded with addictive pain pills. Suddenly, news coverage struck an entirely different tone.
1: Chances are greater than ever, you know someone directly affected. This
5: time, lawmakers reacted with something closer to compassion. Congress passed the Drug Addiction Treatment Act in 2000. Lawmakers were no longer describing addiction as a crime or a moral failing. Now they were talking about it as a treatable disease.
1: It does not solve all the problems that keep individuals and families enslaved and encumbered by addiction. But it makes a start.
5: The act paved the way for new addiction treatment medications like Suboxone.
4: Treatment with Suboxone can reduce withdrawal symptoms and lower the risk of overdose.
5: Now, instead of going to jail, people like Jade struggling with opioid addiction could receive treatment out of a doctor's office with a prescription they could take at home. Suboxone soon became the standard, and the country's concept of what's good for mothers and babies began to change. Researchers found that pregnant women with opioid addiction fared better on treatment medications. And so did their babies.
4: So for mom, she's less likely to relapse, have an overdose and die. And for the infant, they're more likely to go to term and have higher birth weights. So we know that medications work.
5: Dr. Stephen Patrick is the director of the Vanderbilt Center for Child Health Policy. He's published dozens of studies on the topic and consulted for the federal government on laws related to addiction and infant health. He and other researchers have found that keeping babies with their mothers also leads to better outcomes for both of them.
4: So if we're really trying to have healthy moms and babies, we want a mom in treatment who's doing well, a baby who is in the hospital as short a period of time as possible that we treat appropriately, and then is discharged and goes home with their biological mother.
5: But even with new addiction treatments, the opioid crisis kept getting worse. From 2000 to 2014, overdose deaths tripled. Federal officials felt they needed to do more. So in 2016, Congress passed the Comprehensive Addiction and Recovery Act, or CARA for short. CARA addresses the opioid epidemic by expanding prevention and education. And it also promotes the resources needed for that treatment and recovery.
2: It includes the
5: law expanded access to medications like Suboxone, but it also had unintended consequences for pregnant women and new mothers on addiction treatment medication. Under federal law, states had long required hospitals to identify newborns affected by illegal drugs like crack or heroin or meth. But the opioid epidemic involved legal prescription drugs like painkillers. So Congress decided to scratch the word illegal. Now under CARA, hospitals would have to notify authorities anytime a baby was born affected by any substance, legal or illegal.
4: It was really this modification from CARA that really escalated things.
5: Congress said their intent was to flag parents addicted to opioids and connect them to services and treatment. But the law didn't spell out how states should do that, or that efforts should be made to keep families together. This left it up to states to decide how to intervene when prescription meds were found in newborns. In Arizona and other states, Child welfare agencies were already set up to treat drug use during pregnancy as child abuse or neglect. And now many states started treating prescription drugs the same way. In effect, this law created a dragnet that's trapped thousands of new mothers across the country. Mothers like Jade, mothers doing the right thing by taking their prescribed medications to treat their addiction.
4: What it does by default is just reports more people into the system. Well, the system can't actually handle that. And what are they supposed to do with it? What is an actual plan of safe care? What it ends up being is just the same thing that we've always done with child welfare. It's not actually connecting people to treatment, at least, at least what I see.
5: The same thing that we've always done with child welfare, in this case, means putting more families under investigation. No one has ever tallied just how many families have been affected by this policy. That is, until I started working with a team at Reveal, including data reporter Melissa Lewis, to send out public records requests to every child welfare agency in the country. Almost every agency fought back. But after extensive negotiations, some states sent over usable data, eight in total, plus the District of Columbia. And in just those places, we found nearly 3,700 women reported for taking addiction treatment medications like Suboxone or Methadone, another medication for opioid addiction. That's thousands of women referred to child welfare agencies for taking treatment medications that have been proven to help both mothers and babies. We also found women reported for taking other prescription drugs during pregnancy, including antidepressants, ADHD, and anxiety medications. Some women, even for the fentanyl they received in their epidurals. Often referrals prompt little more than a quick evaluation of the family's circumstances, and maybe a connection to services like housing. But other times, They lead to a wide-ranging investigation that puts a family's entire life under a microscope. And sometimes child welfare agencies end up taking the baby. I found at least 40 babies put into foster care after their mothers were reported for taking addiction treatment meds during pregnancy.
3: When I first took him, I could not understand. I did not understand how it happened. Like, how did this happen? I hadn't felt a drug test in three years prior to having him. I went to visit him, and I go up there to visit him. And he was gone, and he wasn't there. Less than two hours after he was born, um, a social worker came in the room and she said, so is this one going with your mom in Myrtle Beach too? Because you know there's no chance he'll ever be coming home with you.
5: Across the country, women told me they were pressured by their caseworkers to stop taking Suboxone. In Arizona, one investigator told me she was taught very little about Suboxone, except that it's another drug that she's required to investigate. I've spent months trying to get a hold of Jade's caseworkers and higher-ups at Arizona's Department of Child Safety. I wanted to ask about their practice of investigating and separating newborns from their mothers. The only person who agreed to a recorded interview was Mike Faust.
3: My name is Mike Faust. I am the former director for Arizona's Department of Child Safety.
5: Mike spent more than seven years in the agency and was the director at DCS as Jade's case was moving through the system. He says that DCS always aims to keep families together and that although medication-assisted treatment, or MAT, has been proven to be effective, the agency's hands are tied by state statute. He says if a health care provider reports a mom... They have to investigate it.
3: I think this is where child protection systems, sometimes there's misunderstandings of how it works. Ultimately, the department's job is to go out and do an assessment to ensure that the parent parents are capable of meeting the child's needs and keeping them safe.
5: Is it appropriate for DCS to be removing infants from parents who took nothing but legally prescribed medication-assisted treatment during pregnancy?
3: I I mean, I would be, so I don't want my, I'm not going to give you a yes or no, so I don't want you to take that as a deflection. Um, The end of the day, the key is to conduct a safety assessment and ultimately determine if the parents have the protective capacities to protect the child, right? And if the sole, if just the, the, if there's no other prevailing concerns out there other than they're taking an MAT, to me, that would never rise to the level of a safety concern. And that shouldn't rise to the level of an intervention requiring out-of-home care.
5: And then I asked Mike about Jade's case. Is that how these cases are supposed to go under DCS policy?
3: I cannot comment on specific cases and there is no, I don't have any specific information that would even permit me to speak on this. I mean, I can't comment on any one specific case.
5: After my interview with Mike, a DCS spokesperson did get back to me by email. He wouldn't discuss Jade either, but he said the agency only opens investigations involving addiction treatment meds when there are other concerns. That might include behavior that suggests active addiction, or if the hospital can't confirm the mother's prescription. In cases such as Jade's, the agency will try and place the baby with family members. But neither of Jade's parents were viable options because of their own involvement in the child welfare system. So in order to get their one-week-old daughter back, Jade and her boyfriend Ryan would have to plead their case in court.
1: In a moment, Jade and her boyfriend go before a judge who will decide if they get to keep their baby or if she'll stay in foster care.
2: We figured that they would return her because we thought they were just normal, like reasonable. You know, they were going to be reasonable about it and just kind of see that it wasn't necessary for her safety or for anyone's safety, just the opposite. It was, you know, she's a newborn baby and she needs to be with her mother.
1: That's next on Reveal. From the Center for Investigative Reporting and PRX, this is Reveal. I'm Al Letson. The Department of Child Safety takes custody of Jade Doss and Ryan Benet's baby just one week after she's born. Jade and Ryan leave the hospital with all their supplies, a car seat, a bassinet, diapers, but not their little girl. Now they have to convince a judge to let them keep their baby. Jade thinks all of this must be... A misunderstanding. She's taking a prescribed medication. Surely the judge will see that. A few days before the hearing, they buy a new home, an RV, and are feeling confident. But the judge decides to keep the baby in foster care. To get her back, Jade and Ryan have to complete what's called a case plan. If they don't, in six months, they could lose their daughter forever.
2: It terrified me. Like, I freaked out when I heard that. I was like, how could they even say something like that? They're going to adopt my daughter away and, like, take my child permanently.
1: Reveals Shoshana Walter takes it from here.
2: The case
5: plan ordered by the judge includes regular drug testing, counseling, parenting classes, home inspections, A caseworker will monitor their progress, make note of every misstep or mistake. And a lot of the cost is on Jade and Ryan, juggling work hours to visit their daughter, paying gas for their visits. It's almost a three hour round trip. Even a monthly fee to the state, sort of a reimbursement for foster care. Basically, they have six months to prove themselves to Arizona's Department of Child Safety. In the meantime, Jade rereads DCS's report to the judge. It explains why the agency took her newborn. And it's filled with major errors, including many the judge repeated in her order to keep the baby in foster care. For example,
2: Mother is neglecting the child due to substance abuse. I don't know how they could say that. Jade and her baby take multiple drug tests. The only thing
5: found in their systems is the Suboxone prescription. The judge's order also states that the baby was harmed because she suffered from withdrawal.
2: The child exhibited withdrawal symptoms from Suboxone at the time of birth and had to be hospitalized for same. But hospital records show the baby was healthy. She didn't seem to
5: have any significant withdrawal symptoms. Even if she did, withdrawal symptoms are temporary and treatable. And the healthiest thing for babies is for moms to keep taking Suboxone during their pregnancies. And then Jade notices the records keep referring to a law that she hasn't heard of, the Indian Child Welfare Act.
2: I was looking at the checklist thing, like the initial paper that she gave me, and it said, um, has the tribe been contacted? And then I just made note, it's not checked off, but I was like, wait a minute, the tribe? Why would they contact them?
5: Jade is a member of the Gila River Indian community but she didn't grow up with the tribe. She Googles the law. Essentially, it's a federal law passed in 1978 in response to states taking a huge number of Native American children from their homes. Up to one in three. This law was supposed to ensure that child welfare agencies remove children only in the most extreme circumstances, and not due to poverty or substance abuse alone. And if the state still decided to remove a child, they had to tell the tribe and try to place the child with family. Jade felt like DCS and the judge were ignoring these requirements and
2: violating the law. And I just got super excited and hopeful, like it would help solve all of these things and help me to get my daughter back. So instead of complying with the case plan, Jade decides the best way
5: to get her baby back is to fight it. Now almost everybody I talked to said this is a bad idea. Child welfare agencies have near unilateral power. Disagreeing, being evasive, not cooperating, are viewed as more evidence that you don't have good judgment, that you're hiding something, that you're an unfit parent. But Jade is convinced she hasn't done anything wrong.
2: Agreeing to the case plan would be like pleading guilty to a crime she didn't commit. If I wasn't taking illicit drugs, then why do I need to take drug counseling? So it just didn't make sense to me. And I I thought, like, if I started doing that stuff, it would prolong the case. She does the drug tests. She gets her Suboxone treatment
5: records. She attends monitored visits with her daughter. But otherwise, Jade rejects the case plan. And the months go on. Jade and Ryan file legal motions to dismiss the case but the judge continually denies the requests. And as the six-month deadline approaches, it seems more and more likely that Jade's parental rights will be terminated. Finally, the tribe makes a motion to transfer the case.
2: She told me that they would be taking the case. And I was just relieved, but then I was wanting to know what was the next step. That relief is
5: short-lived,
2: Tribal Social Services does
5: not see Jade as a fit parent because she still has open charges, including for misdemeanor shoplifting. When Jade and Ryan finally appear in tribal court, the judge returns the baby to Ryan, not to Jade. Jade's not even allowed to live with her.
2: And the judge stated that if I were to get arrested, it would traumatize her. So therefore, I cannot be around her unsupervised.
5: Jade feels betrayed. I wanted to talk with Tribal Social Services, but a spokesperson said they couldn't discuss Jade's case because of confidentiality laws. The tribe's decision means Jade can't be alone with her own kid, but Ryan works and can't always be around to supervise her, and they can't afford daycare, so Jade starts taking care of her daughter alone. She knows she's not supposed to. The caseworker suspects that the couple is violating the case plan and demands to see the baby. Jade gets spooked.
2: We were just panicking. And we thought they were gonna take her again. And so they decide to run. It's like we were being chased by like a monster or something, like we just threw everything in the car and ran.
5: They pack up the car and leave the RV behind. They tell the caseworker they're on their way. A few hours later, the caseworker realizes they're not coming. She texts, where are you? Jade ignores the message, and they cross state lines.
2: I don't know, we just thought they would leave us alone. Kind of leave it at that, but that didn't happen, of course. At first, Jade tries to pretend
5: like they're on some fun family road trip.
2: I remember the landscape started to change and we started to see more trees and got into kind of higher elevation.
5: They drive to this town in Wyoming surrounded by pine trees and they stay at this campground on a lake.
2: I remember the water was like crystal clear when you would go on the beach and like, you know, put your feet in.
5: They go for walks into town and see other families with their minivans. People comment on how cute the baby is.
2: I had a little carrier for her, like, you know, the little where she's like strapped on to me and we would just take walks like that. For the first time, Jade feels
5: like she's being looked at as a mother. And other families are looking at her and Ryan and the baby and they're seeing a family. She feels seen. It's a wonderful feeling.
2: For both me and Ryan is definitely one of the better times in our lives that we shared together. But at the same time, Jade is terrified. Every time
5: they see a police car, they worry about getting caught and losing their daughter again. And they're running out of money. So Ryan finds a farmhand job and they head to South Dakota. The farmer offers them an old wooden house to stay in, and they start settling
2: in. Yeah, I was just cleaning up the yard, cleaning up the house, and just trying to make it like a home.
5: But Jade's fears don't go away. One day, she looks out the window and sees two SUVs
2: turn down their dirt road. I was like, whoa, what is this? It looks like some kind of cops. And I could see the living room window they had parked in front of our house. She hears men step out of their cars and come to the door.
5: She doesn't answer. They start walking around the house, and she can see them peering through the window.
2: My heart started racing and pounding. And I was like, this can't be real. She hugs the baby and presses
5: herself flat against the wall. She holds her breath.
2: They started looking through the window and they were talking amongst themselves. They were like, hey, do you see anything? They were like, yeah, I see the baby formula right there. And I was looking at her like, don't talk. Don't Please don't talk. Please don't say anything.
5: Eventually, the officers leave, but Jade knows they can't stay. So they wait until nightfall, get in their car, and head out of town. They start driving toward New Jersey, where Ryan's dad lives. They make it as far as Sioux City, Iowa, where they pull into the parking lot of that big box store.
4: Get your hands up! Get your hands up!
5: You may remember what happens next.
3: Let me see your hands in the vehicle! Out the window! Do not move unless you're told to do so. Do you understand me?
5: Jade and Ryan had crossed six states, driven over a 1,000 miles. They've been gone for a little over a month. And now they're arrested for child endangerment. And their baby is taken again.
1: You, know, you ain't supposed to have this child.
5: And this all started because Jade took a prescribed medication during pregnancy. Jade spends almost two months in jail. She pleads guilty to misdemeanor child endangerment to get out. She fears she'll never see her daughter again, that the tribe will terminate her parental rights. But when she calls the caseworker, she's relieved to learn they're giving her a second chance. In December 2021, Jade and Ryan return to Arizona. Their daughter is now 10 months old. meet in the parking lot
2: of a phoenix library on our first visit when we got there she started like just bawling her eyes out as soon as she saw us as soon as she saw me and so i just picked her up out of her car seat and i hugged her and i told her how much i missed her and how good it was to see her and i just held her for a really long time
5: to get their baby back Jade and Ryan have to take parenting classes, attend counseling, do random drug testing and supervised visitations. They have to resolve all criminal matters and fines. This time, Jade decides she's not going to fight it. She's just going to do whatever they ask and enjoy the limited visits she has with her daughter.
2: She is just the cutest baby I've ever seen in my entire life. She doesn't really open up till the end of the visit, but she loves music. She likes to dance. I've heard her sing a little bit. As time passes,
5: Jade has some victories, but many more setbacks. Completing the judge's case plan is not going to be easy. Two of her shoplifting charges are resolved, but she picks up a probation violation in Iowa for leaving the state. She sees a counselor who determines she doesn't need counseling. But the caseworker tells her she has to do it anyway. Her car breaks down. The plumbing in their rented trailer breaks. Everything is taking so long. And meanwhile, Jade only gets to see her daughter four hours
2: a month. She's missing so much. Milestones, first words, first haircut, just... Yeah, I've just missed so much of her, her firsts. It's not just like depressing or sad, it's like this deep brokenness that I have to live with every single day. All my life, I really looked forward to being a mother and I feel like I'm having that, that basic human experience taken from me. Jade becomes depressed and starts sleeping a lot. In
5: February of this year, her daughter turns two. A month later, Jade goes to court to resolve one of her outstanding probation violations. She thinks it's just a formality, but the judge sentences her to six months in jail. A couple weeks later, I connect with Jade online through the jail's video visitation system. There you are. Hi. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Um, I'm okay. Jade tells me she's received some bad news. Her dad says it looks like the tribe isn't going to give back her baby, at least anytime soon. Jade started out thinking she was doing the right thing by taking Suboxone during her pregnancy. This is what a good mother would do, she thought. After the state took her baby, she fought back as hard as she could and made decisions she knew would look bad, all so she could be a mother, a better parent than the ones she knew. But over time, the case has worn her down Now, instead of blaming the Child Welfare Agency for removing her daughter, or the state law, or the hospital, she's blaming herself. Maybe the state was right after all, Jade is now thinking. Maybe she's not fit to be a mom. I just messed
2: up so much that it's been this hard for me to get her back, and I'm not doing as good of a job as I could
5: have been doing. Jade wanted something different for her daughter. She wanted to be a good mother. And for now, she's losing that chance.
1: Jade is scheduled to be released from jail this month. You can read more about Jade and the other mothers losing custody of their newborns in a story reveals Shoshana Walter has written for this week's New York Times Magazine. Najeeb Amini and Aikshreez Khandaraja produced this week's show. Taki Telanidis and Nina Martin were editors. Reveals Melissa Lewis provided data reporting and analysis. Thanks to researcher Deco Muldowney and legal fellows Derek Gray and Sean Musgrave, who spent months filing public records requests and pushing back when state agencies said no. Also, thanks to Ala Mustafa, Aniante Diaz-Cortez, Farah Altohami, Austin Fast and Rahat Natif of the New York Times. Nikki Frick is our fact checker. Victoria Baronetsky is our general counsel. Our production managers are Stephen Rascon and Zulema Cobb. Score and sound design by the Dynamic Duo. Jay Breezy, Mr. Jim Briggs, and Fernando, my man, yo Aruda. They had help this week from Claire C. Note Mullen. Our CEO is Robert Rosenthal. Our COO is Maria Feldman. Our interim executive producers are Brett Myers and Taki Telenitis. Our theme music is by Camarado, Lightning. Support for reveals provided by the Ford Foundation, the Reva and David Logan Foundation, the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation, the Jonathan Logan Family Foundation, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, the Park Foundation, and the Hellman Foundation. Reveal is a co production of the Center for Investigative Reporting and PRX. I'm Al Letson, and remember, there is always more to the story.